0: Astrid and Jamila would like to acknowledge that this podcast was made on the lands of the Wurundjeri and the Boon Wurrung people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging, and we note that this sovereignty was never ceded. Hello and welcome back to Anonymous Was A Woman. My name is Astrid Edwards, I'm going to be joined by Helen McCabe, founder and CEO of Future Women, and this week we are going to be talking about equity. We have fiction and non-fiction for you, and thanks must go, as always, to Hachette Publishing, the maker and teller of wonderful stories. Helen McCabe, welcome back to Anonymous Was a Woman. Thank you so much for having me back. So today, we are still in lockdown and we are still recording <laughs> remotely via Zoom. This week, we are talking about equity and we have a work of fiction and a work of nonfiction to discuss with everybody today. When you think of equality and equity, what springs to mind? I can't get around the fact
1: that the first thing that springs to mind is Future Women because we started a business built on the concept of equality and I started with gender equality as my mission is to fight for gender equality in a, I guess, a kind of a conservative, controlled, take everybody with us on the journey way. But it was pretty apparent early on that equality is not just about gender equality. There are a whole heap of subsets around equality that are quickly revealed when you're in the gender equality space. And I guess it's something, therefore, I've thought a lot about what is my mission? If I'm going to fight for equality, do I fight for equality in all of its guises? Do I stick with the big one, which is gender? And if I get that right, then a whole bunch of other things fall in behind it. But it also raises a whole bunch of issues for me around the manner in which many people are suffering. And it might not necessarily be obvious. And the first one that comes to mind talking to you is around disability. So someone might look at you and see no inequality at all, whereas every day can be a struggle for people who have invisible disabilities And then I think that applies also to all manner of people that might seem incredibly well-off materially and yet there's immense suffering. So I think equality is an incredibly interesting issue and it's particularly interesting now as we as a country grapple with the multiple issues that have been thrown up as we have greater understanding. So that's a long answer, Astrid, but it's a deeply interesting topic.
0: It really is. And you're right, I have an invisible disability. And I was in my early 30s when I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, Helen. And before then, I didn't realise the privilege that I enjoyed in a mostly healthy body. I have since discovered that I uh, don't live in a mostly healthy body, but people still think I do. And that gives me this weird insight into the discrimination and inequity and inequality that so many people with disabilities experience. And I sometimes experience, but I also can pass as a person who doesn't have any disabilities and therefore avoid a lot of the discrimination that my peers in the disabled community experience. I'm going to admit it was a shock. I thought I was really aware and woke and all the rest of it. And I really wasn't until I was kind of slapped in the face with confronting my own privilege and the privilege I continue to have because sometimes my disabilities aren't visible or aren't apparent to anybody in public or on a Zoom call. Do
1: you sometimes find someone who seems extremely privileged, big house, you know, good education, bright, good earning potential, and then start to talk to them and discover layers of complexity and challenges that you could never, and it's not necessarily a disability, it can be all manner of challenges. Do you ever kind of get that sense of equality from those conversations that everyone, everyone in life has something that they're dragging behind them? Do you ever have that sense?
0: Oh, absolutely. The older I get, Helen, the less I think that anybody is having a great time. I think that we all come with experiences that hurt us and that make things difficult or that make things not how they appear. I think that people who have assets that they get to control probably can shield themselves a bit. Clearly, daily needs of food and shelter are met, but emotionally, wealth has nothing to do with how someone is at all or their health, actually. But yeah, I mean it's just it all feels quite a lot and I think that you know the COVID-19 pandemic in Australia and around the world it is just as everyone has been discussing at length but it is so true it is showing us the inequality it is showing us the inequities that we didn't know were there or maybe we suspected were there but we were just not paying attention to and they are just so damn apparent now.
1: I think that's actually a really sharp observation every day I, I read something a paper and you, you know so you one of my frustrations is that there are so many experts who you know, telling us we should do this or we should do that or a premier or a leader should do this and everyone's kind of making it up and there was a column the other day which I thought was really wise in which the author is living in a, one of the LGAs, so one of the suburbs in New South Wales that is locked down and she's particularly frustrated with all of the media and I guess privileged commentary, which is incredibly well-meaning, criticising the Premier for not locking down harder and faster and making things more brutal in Sydney. And she was just making the point, that's all great if you're living in a three-, four-bedroom house with some space. But for many people in the LGAs, there's five people living in that house. It's small. You can't even go out after nine o'clock to avoid your children. And arguing for tougher lockdowns on working-class Communities and local government areas is just offensive. And you just realize that you are out of touch because you do see the lockdown debate from the perspective of can I ever get on a plane and go and have holidays in Italy again if you're lucky enough to have a job that can support an international airfare? So, look, I think you're right. It has completely exposed, amplified, and given us a glimpse into the differences and the different qualities of people's lives
0: and today we're going to be exploring these themes by looking at a work of fiction the view was exhausting by Michaela Clements and Unduli Data and a work of non-fiction my body keeps your secrets by Lucia Osborne Crowley
1: Astrid, I'm pretty excited to talk to you about The View is Exhausting by Michaela and Anjuli because this is a very hot debut by a couple. They're married. It's created a bit of a sensation. It's, as I say, their first book, and they've written it together, which is also slightly unusual, but I think might be becoming more fashionable to do. I think this book is a bit hilarious, but I'm just going to tell you, it's about Whitman Tagore. She's an Indian, British actress. She's wildly successful. She's cool. She's classy. She's the most beautiful woman in the world. And she's got this fake romance with a trustafarian ex-model who's a bit of a, he's a reluctant model. He's handsome and at a bit of a loose end, doesn't have much meaning in his life. That's the book. Can I ask you what you think I
0: might have thought of it? Oh, that's a really hard question, Helen. I know (laughs) what I thought about it and I feel like whatever I say next, is going to reveal many things to me. I think that you thought that this was an interesting read but don't get the hype.
1: Oh, good. No.
0: Oh. I didn't like it at all. Neither did I. Tell me why you didn't like it. (laughs) (laughs) It is so bad.
1: (laughs) right? So I don't want anyone not to read it, right? Because I want to be very clear here. If you just want a fun read that's not going to cause you, you know, nightmares or to dwell on it for very long and you just want a total escapism, then it
0: will do that and it will probably make you smile. But what did you just like about it? Look, I'm currently in Melbourne's lockdown six, so any opinion I have at this moment is certainly questionable. (laughs) I picked it up really wanting to love this book. It really does have hype around it. And normally that's the kind of thing I avoid, Helen, because I am a bit contrarian and like to read things that other people aren't reading, but I am really desperate for some fiction, really desperate for some fun and escapism and the idea of, I don't know, travel and pretty things of no consequence and not having to think very hard. And that's what I was looking to get out of this book. And while there are Things in the plot that I really enjoy thinking about, I think the execution of it was just average. We know it was going to happen. Well, yeah, exactly. And also just the whole kind of I'm just so wealthy and, oh, it's so hard and I'm too busy to even call my mother or my best friend and, oh, look at me, I'm dating, faux dating the son of a billionaire and, oh, my God, life's hard. I just really couldn't get into it. I mean, life can be hard and not if you're in that circumstance.
1: So I think that's right. Like there was just nothing about Whitman Tagore apart from her name and potentially what she looked like because we all want to look like her, I think. I I want to look like her. She sounded, you know, stunning. But there was nothing about her likeable. Even the way she treated her best friend, she sort of got to the wedding, she didn't want to upstage the wedding, and right to the end, she's still rubbish to Leo. And he was sort of okay. Hey, that's the other thing that annoyed me about it why does he come out okay? Why is she the one we dislike? Like it should have been almost the other way around.
0: Yeah. The white guy, playboy, son of a billionaire comes out fine. And the British Indian actress who is raising fair questions about racism and misogyny in the industry that she plays in comes out not quite. And no one likes her, including the people reading about her. It just felt like this was going to be such a winner. And Technically, I think it's executed quite well. And that's really impressive because as you said, a couple wrote this together and co-writing is really difficult. So I kind of hats off to that, but man, I just didn't care. I just didn't care.
1: I liked the bit and I went looking for more stories about the couple that wrote the book. You know, I care about Michaelia and on Julie Moore. like I want to know their story and, and co-writing book so I've co-edited two books with Jamila and I can't imagine co-writing two books so I mean actually I mean I should just clarify I didn't really co-edit Jamila did it and I said yes which works really well for me and for her. <laughs>
0: You're sharing trade secrets here.
1: But I do. I think that's really difficult. And I'm interested to see what they do next, because there is the makings of a sexy, fun, cool holiday read in the way they've done this. And I think they'll get better. But it's funny. It's just not there.
0: Back to non-fiction in our episode today. Helen, I would like to introduce you to Lucia Osborne Crowley, an Australian writer who spends her time between Sydney and London. Lucia, two years ago, wrote an extraordinary memoir called I Choose Eleanor. And in this memoir, really, really intimate and profound memoir, Lucia talks about the violent rape she experienced in Sydney when she was 15, which caused her to give up gymnastics. And she was a world-class gymnast uh, at the age of 15, winning plenty of national awards on track to go to the Olympics, etc. And the trauma that she experienced to her body physically, but also obviously emotionally and psychologically, eventually contributed to her becoming very ill with two very significant autoimmune conditions, endometriosis and Crohn's. In the process of writing I Choose Eleanor, she also remembered that she had been the victim of childhood sexual abuse by one of her gym coaches. It is a really significant contribution to memoir in Australia, particularly post-Me Too!, Now, in 2021, Lucia has just published My Body Keeps Your Secrets, and this is a continuation of her own story, but it is also taking a look at how the world and the institutions and systems in our world treat the bodies of women and non-binary people. So Lucia interviewed about 100 people from all over the world about essentially the trauma they have experienced as a result of their gender or sexual identity, as a result of patriarchy and the misogyny that we all know is out there. And it's pretty damn stunning.
1: What do you think the central message from Lucia's book is?
0: That is a big question. I think there are two. She writes a lot about shame and how... Traditionally, if that's the right word, people who experience any form of abuse or violence think that the shame belongs to them or think that people and society will attach the shame to them when really the shame is the person who perpetrated the act. The shame belongs to the person who did the wrong thing, who was violent, who was an abuser. And so... She is part of the narrative of flipping that idea of shame. And if you have experienced abuse or assault, whether it's physical or mental or financial or psychological, whatever age you are, it is not your fault. No shame belongs to you. It is the perpetrator who should be ashamed. That is her first very clear message. And I think that is a liberating message. Her second message is also there is freedom to be found by sharing stories. Because the likelihood is we all know people with these stories. And so often, because of the shame that I just mentioned, they don't share it with us. And part of an equitable society and a society that looks after women and young people and non-binary people is removing shame and creating safety. And I think that both of her books, her memoir and now this kind of compilation, My Body Keeps Your Secrets a really significant contributions to that idea, you know, really significant that will stand the test of time.
1: It's so interesting when you see a young woman, and Chanel Miller comes to mind, who has gone through a horrific circumstance. And as you say, where shame could overcome and keep that secret for decades or forever. But they find their voice as a writer, somewhere in that space it's kind of common right we see it often that it really develops a writer and she's obviously one of those
0: oh yeah I mean this is a really well-written memoir I teach writing Helen and I uh, I do judge these things and sometimes <laughs> someone has a very interesting story and it's not really told very well even though the story is really really profound Lucia has a profound story and she executes the telling of it wonderfully. It is a a wonderful read. And that's one of the reasons why I think it will stand the test of time. One of the other things that I really found interesting and that I found Lucia's writing causing me to Google and kind of go down my own little rabbit holes of thought based on my own personal experience is she has Crohn's disease and endometriosis and both are autoimmune diseases that tend to affect women more than men. And there is a growing body of research that Lucia explores that says that people who experience trauma, which is so often women, go on to develop really significant autoimmune diseases for which there is no known cause and no known cure because of the impact of sustained stress, including emotional stress caused by trauma on the body. And I have multiple sclerosis. It is one of the diseases that Lucia lists as the autoimmune conditions caused by profound stress and I was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder in my 20s because I had a really bad decade and you know I often find myself wondering if that was one of the triggers towards multiple sclerosis given that I have the other pre-existing attributes. Do Do you suspect that is the case? I had a really difficult period in my 20s and I was diagnosed just after I started to get my shit together, if I can say that on a podcast. And, you know, with endometriosis, with Crohn's, with fibromyalgia, with multiple sclerosis, with so many others, lupus, there's no cause. And in no way am I suggesting, and in no way is Lucia suggesting, that because you experience trauma, you end up with an autoimmune disease. What the research suggests is if you have all the pre existing attributes that kind of are common in people who end up with conditions like that one of which is being female in your reproductive years it might be a further trigger because the impact of stress sustained stress at that kind of level is horrific for the body now this is not a science podcast and i really recommend people read my body keeps your secrets because lucia does a much better job than i have just done of explaining this scientific research
1: Not at all. I think it's a valid conversation. And we talked last time about how little the medical profession knows. And I think it's completely accepted that the medical profession knows very little about the brain and the impact that it has on the body. So I think you make a valid point, which is we need to keep looking at these connections. And obviously, Lucia, not through her own assumptions, but through her interviews with a hundred other women are saying a similar sort of thing, which is kind of fascinating.
0: It really is. I'm a person who loves health literature. This is an area that I find myself voluntarily picking up all the time for completely self-interested reasons, clearly, (laughs) Helen. But I really recommend this one, My Body Keeps Your Secrets by Lucia Osborne Crowley and her previous memoir, I Choose Eleanor. It's liberating and it's comforting and written really damn well.
1: For those of us that don't do misery very well, I'm really bad with trauma and sadness. So I'll avoid the Qantas ad because I don't want to make
0: myself sad. Should I avoid that memoir? No, don't avoid it at all. Can I say I might be the only adult in Australia who has not yet watched the Qantas ad? I am studiously (laughs) avoiding it. I refuse to watch it. But I find that this kind of memoir, when it's so well written, it's like a reclamation. I Choose Eleanor is a reclamation. This is a woman who had an extremely bad experience in her childhood and an extremely bad experience in her teenage years. And she has reclaimed it. She is getting rid of her shame. She is owning herself and the title i choose eleanor is actually a reference to how she found herself again via reading so eleanor ferrente she read those novels and many many other novels as part of her ongoing recovery and it gets to a place of power and control over one's choices in life so yes bad things happened but lucia gets to a good place Astrid I'm so glad you shared that with
1: me and I'm so glad you got your shit together
0: I totally did kind of maybe in lockdown six I mean if I
1: was going to be a full journalist of my previous life I would have completely grilled you about what went wrong in your 20s I've got all sorts of visions right now but I'm going to let you off the hook because this is a podcast about books it's not a podcast about what you did right or wrong in your
0: 20s (laughs) thank you very much Helen Thank you for listening to Anonymous Was a Woman today with Helen McCabe and myself. We will be back next week when our topic is questioning. Anonymous Was a Woman is brought to you by Future Women and has shared publishing and it is made by Bad Producer Productions. See you next week.